Hi, Stapleton Church. I'm so glad you are joining us for Church Online today as we are one church again in hundreds of locations. Some of you are meeting right now with your community group or a group of friends or maybe you're joining us for the first time. Wherever you are, I'd love to see where you are, especially if you're watching with a group of people. Um, Send us your picture. Put them up online and make sure that you add us. We would love to see where you are. We are all about helping people follow Jesus here. I'm Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor, and I want to help you follow Jesus today, especially as we wait. Because, man, isn't there a lot of waiting right now? We're all waiting for uh, this pandemic to be over, that we can get back to normal life, that our business could start up again, that we could get a job that we're looking for, that we could wait for school to be over, or maybe for school to start again, if you're the parent with the kids at home. We're all waiting right now, and this has brought up so much of the difficulties with waiting, because waiting is hard. I think Tom Petty was right when he crooned, waiting is the hardest part. Waiting is the hardest part. part. It is difficult and challenging to wait. In fact, in the Proverbs, it says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I think if we were to be diagnosed, some of us would have stage four hope deferment syndrome. You know, it's hard to wait. If, if you're like that and you're saying, I'm ready for this pandemic to be over, I'm ready for life to begin again, maybe you put that in the comment saying, I wish the wait was over. Could you just comment, engage us uh, on Facebook if you're watching us or in YouTube? And maybe there's something else you're waiting for. I'd love to hear about some of those things, too, because it's not just this pandemic. Some of us are waiting for a job or for income to return. Some of us are are waiting for other things like a spouse, like that relationship we've been looking for. Maybe it's to have a child. Maybe it's the child you do have. You're waiting for them to return again to their senses and stop living in in such a way that's just, just wasting so much of their life. We all have things that we wait for, and waiting is very hard. So today what we're going to learn about is something important in this waiting, and it's something about Jesus. It's something about Jesus. And this series that we're going through that we are calling Jesus is blank as we seek to fill in the blank each week. And last week we learned that Jesus is the ultimate authority in our lives, in the world, in the supernatural world, and even in our world themselves. But today we're going to learn something important about who Jesus is in the waiting. Because it is important. Because what we want to know through this period, whatever's going on, however long it might last, is it years? Are we never going to go back to normal? Is it just going to be a few months? We, we want to know. We want to know when we're going to get back to church. Heck, I want that maybe more than you. I can't wait till we can get back together again. I would love to see you face to face right now. I long for it. My heart longs for it. In fact, it feels kind of sick. My heart does waiting to see you guys. Again, but what we want to know is, is the waiting worth it? You know, when we order the food at a restaurant, if there's a long wait, maybe a long wait to get into the restaurant. Finally, we get the table. We order the food. Man, that sounds so great. Then finally, we're waiting for the food. Or maybe you're at the drive-thru waiting for the food to come. Or maybe for the delivery to show up. And you're waiting. And the wait is worth it if the food is good, right? Or maybe it's that book that you read that you loved and you've been waiting for years for them finally to adapt it to the movie. And then you see the movie's coming out. Oh, it's coming out next summer. You're waiting. And the wait is worth it. What? If the movie is good. If the movie is good. See, waiting is worth it if at the other side we see what we're waiting for. Maybe it's for the baby. It's the nine months of, of pain, of 
uh, feeling uncomfortable and, and the waiting, you think all of that would be worth it if what? We want the waiting, but we want to say, is the waiting worth it? And seeing a child's smiling face as you hold them is worth it, right? The wait is worth it when we have the payoff at the end. So what we're going to learn today is while we're waiting, what can we learn about Jesus and what does it say to help us wait? Is this wait worth it? So if you could join with me in Luke chapter 8, you can follow along in your physical Bibles, get those things out, or, or maybe in a separate browser or on a different device that you're looking at it. If you want to look, there's a link in the YouTube and Facebook comment section for the YouVersion Bible app that you can look at the event and follow along with notes from today's message. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, verses 40, all the way to the end of the chapter. So I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Would you please read with me? Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, the word Greek there for only daughter doesn't just mean that it's his only daughter that he has, but it really means only child. This is the only child of this man, Jairus, a synagogue leader, a religious leader, basically the lead pastor of their church of the day. And this man falls at Jesus' feet, humbly coming before him, beseeching him, pleading with him, saying, please come. This is his heartfelt prayer. Jesus, come, heal my daughter. She's about to die. Now, this man must have been terrified to be so humble that he's seeking after Jesus because this is his last-ditch effort to hopefully help his child, his only child. Now, when McKinley, our daughter, our first daughter, was born, we had been waiting for her for a long time, and it was really special that finally, after nine months, heck, after 42 weeks, she was born. But immediately, after that powerful moment of seeing this child for the first time, it was evident that she wasn't breathing. McKinley wasn't breathing, and she wasn't breathing at all, and the nurses grabbed her. They took her out of the room. I chased after those nurses, because this is my daughter, my only daughter, my only child, and she isn't breathing. I want to know what's going on, and they take her into the NICU, and I'm chasing down the hallway after this nurse in there trying to figure out what's going on, and I'm watching as they put the vent hood over my daughter. I couldn't touch her. I couldn't hold her like I had been dreaming about for so long, and there she is, and her oxygen levels are dropping. They hook her up and the sensors just say less and less oxygen is going into her blood as they crank up the oxygen even more into that vent hood. And I am terrified. I would have done anything in that moment to save my daughter's life. I would have done anything. And I think this is what Jairus is feeling in this moment. Please save my daughter. She's 12, this daughter of his, but he still has his heart. He loves her so much. His heart has gone out to this girl, and he wants to see her alive. So he says, Jesus, please come with me. I'm, I, I need this. I, I'm sure he raced out there, and he's waiting. He needs something to happen immediately. Okay, don't wait. Do it immediately, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay. Jesus goes with Jairus. Man, this must have been some relief to Jairus that yes, maybe Jesus, this healer that he's heard about, that's been traveling and doing ministry, he's just come back across the lake from, from doing something on the other side of the lake, like what we saw last week. And now Jesus is there finally, he's coming. 
Jairus must have had this sense of relief that Jesus is coming. Maybe Jesus can do something about this terrible situation that he's dealing with. And I think when we're in those desperate situations, that's what we want too. We want Jesus to step in and immediately go to work. Do something immediately. I just lost my job. I just lost this person I care about. Step in right now to make me feel better. Please step in right now to help me through this difficult situation. And sometimes we do see God start to work like this. Jesus is beginning to work. He's going with them. And Jesus is probably being led by Jairus back to Jairus' house. Jesus' disciples are there too, and they're moving through a crowd. But because Jesus is so popular, this whole crowd who too has been waiting for Jesus to come back to their side of the lake... They're all crowding around him and they're pushing and they're getting closer and closer and people's shoulders are pushed up against her. People up against each other and people in the back are maybe pushing to try to get ahead and they want to be able to see Jesus to touch him. And then all of a sudden, Jesus stops. Jesus stops. And he says, who touched me? Who touched me? Now, everybody's in the crowd is looking at each other. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And Peter, the leader of the disciples, says, well, well, Jesus, there's a whole bunch of people. There's a whole crowd of people around here. Anybody could have touched you, Jesus. I mean, everybody's kind of bustling up against each other. Shoulders, elbows are getting knocked around. Um, it could have been anyone, Jesus, Peter says. But Jesus asks again, no, who was it? I felt power leave me. And he stops, waiting for someone to answer him. Now, I can just imagine how Jairus must have felt in this moment. He's thinking, okay, there's a whole crowd of people. Of course somebody touched you. Why are you stopping right now? Because everybody's going to be touching you. If, if maybe you're watching this right now and, and you've been to a bazaar, you know, a marketplace, and there's a ton of people moving around, you know that someone's going to bump you. This is like the New York City subway, okay? This is not social distancing right now. People are pressed up against each other. And Jairus is probably wondering, okay, what's going on? Let's, let's get a move on it. My daughter, remember, she's dying. He doesn't say anything, or at least we don't hear anything or read anything in, in Luke's account of this. But I'm sure we can just imagine what Jairus is saying. Okay, clock is ticking. He's, he's getting out his watch. He's saying, okay, come on, let's go, Jesus. What's taking so long? But Jesus stops, and he's waiting, looking around in the crowd. Who is it that touched me? And finally, a woman admits it. Then she too falls at Jesus' feet, cowering. She's probably afraid. And she admits, telling the whole story, she says, I touched you, Jesus. I, I touched really just the fringe of your robe. I wanted to get near you, I wanted to touch you, because for 12 years, I have suffered from bleeding. Now, Luke was a physician. Not only was he this historian that wrote us this great eyewitness account as he went and tracked down eyewitnesses and wrote down their accounts, not only was he a great historian, but he was a physician himself. He was a doctor. And this woman, as she describes her condition of hemorrhaging, bleeding, this is some kind of menstrual bleeding. And it has been going on and on, nonstop, for over a decade. And this woman had gone through this, and Luke would know that in this situation, this woman, because she had been bleeding so much, it would mean that she probably couldn't have children. Not only is she dealing with the annoyance, because at that time there were not the same hygiene products we have today, so it would have been difficult to keep this under control. This woman would have been very, would have been very limited in the physical activity she could do. And even more so in the culture of that day, if you had bleeding like this that continued on, you were considered unclean. You couldn't engage in the spiritual 
activities. You couldn't go worship with other people at the synagogue, at church. You couldn't go to church. This woman is isolated. She's desperate. And she couldn't have children. I, I can just imagine that she probably wants her life to get on. Probably because of this, she either wasn't married because of the condition, or if she was married, it would have been likely that her husband divorced her. This would have been good grounds in those days for divorce. Now, this woman has gone through all sorts of physical and emotional and spiritual anguish because she is now isolated. She's dealing with this condition, and she is willing to do anything. It says that she's tried all sorts of different people to help her. She's gone to see doctors. She's gone to see faith healers. She has gone everywhere and tried everything to get healed. And finally, out of one last desperate plea, she's reaching out in the middle of the crowd just to touch Jesus' robe and perhaps be healed. Now, you can get desperate like this. When Melissa and I were waiting for five years, those five years of infertility to have McKinley, uh, I remember feeling that. After six months, we were saying, okay, well, something's a little odd here, but let's keep waiting. We get to a year, and it's like, well, we better go see a doctor. We better go talk to someone who knows more. And then when the doctors had nothing that they could really help us with, we, we thought, what the heck are we going to do? So we tried this, we tried that. People suggest things, okay, people that t- tell you advice that uh, shouldn't have any word to tell you. Oh, my sister did this. Oh, so-and-so tried this. I drank this juice and I got pregnant. And when you're in that state, you're willing to try anything. You, you listen to these people, even though it's kind of annoying. If you've been in that situation, you know what I'm talking about. So when you're waiting for that physical healing, when you're waiting for that thing, and it keeps going on and on for years, maybe even decades for some of you, waiting on that thing to happen, you're wondering, when is it going to happen? I've tried this, I've tried that. And you're willing to maybe do the desperate thing at the last thing and even go to a faith healer and just touch him because maybe, could maybe he do it? Might as well try, right? Might as well try to do something. And that's what this woman admits to in that moment. And Jesus looks at this woman, this poor outcast of a woman, and he says to her in verse 48, Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman in that instant, her bleeding that she's had for 12 years, Stop. She is fully healed by Jesus. And Jesus explains to her that it was her faith that has healed her. Now, this is so important for us to understand. And Jesus is using this as a teaching moment for this woman and for us and the crowd, the disciples, and for us in turn, that we can see that it's the faith that this woman expresses, not the magic of Jesus' robe that heals her. It's her faith in Jesus that heals her. Now, I want you to get this because we have such a bad understanding of what faith is. We think of faith as just like, you've got to summon up this force within you. It's the force. Use the force. The force is strong with this one. The force is strong with this one. And that's what we think of as faith. This Star Wars version of this thing that we have to feel a little bit harder. Mm, let me just think and mm, put myself together and then I'll have the faith. But Jesus is saying, hey, no, 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 that's not it. It's not some magical thing this force that's out there that can help you. No, 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 no. See, faith could be better translated often as trust. It's trust in a person. Now, I say that because so often what you hear in op-eds and, and you hear it from teachers or professors is, is people saying they're looking at all the religions of the world and they say it doesn't matter what you believe, just that you believe with all you are. You have to believe sincerely in something. It, it's about the sincereness of your faith. It's about how hard you believe in something, not about what you believe in. 
So it doesn't matter if you put your faith in Jesus or in Buddha or Muhammad or, or any number of thousands other gods and religions. It doesn't matter as long as you sincerely believe. Now, for one, that's patronizing. And, and two, that's offensive. So if you're thinking that right now, you need to stop thinking that because it's offensive to people of all faiths, not just Christians. Because you're equating them all and saying that they're all equal and they all get the same thing. Well, we all know if you study the world religions for just one day that they are completely and utterly different. There's totally different philosophies. Yes, they may share a few similarities, but there is tons of differences. So it's offensive. Please stop doing that. And the next thing is that it's also stupid. It's also stupid because if you think about it for more than one millisecond, you would know that having faith in a strong manner doesn't matter if the object of your faith is no good. Okay, think about it this way. If you were sick, okay, you were sick, maybe you have an inoperable brain tumor, an inoperable brain tumor, and they give you two weeks to live. And there's uh, a couple patients that have this same diagnosis. At the same time, they're both given it. So the first patient goes to the surgeon because he heard there's one surgeon. One surgeon can pr- perform the surgery in order to get out this. And, and they're desperate. They're saying, hey, I was told this is inoperable, that it's malignant, that I'm going to die from it. It's terminal. So if there's a surgeon who, who can do it, I'm going to put my trust in them. I'm going to believe in this person. And I believe wholeheartedly. They go as quick as they can to the clinic of this surgeon. They, they talk to the surgeon and the surgeon's like, well, let me just explain, you know, some of the pros and cons. And, and the, the patient says, I don't care. I believe you can do this. Let me sign the papers. I'll sign away anything. Go ahead and operate. Get that scalpel out. Cut me. We can do it right here, right now. Okay. And then the second patient is a little less sure. The second patient has the same inoperable brain tumor, same diagnosis, and is expecting to die in two weeks. But they hear, too, about this one surgeon who can perform a surgery that could perhaps save their life. So they they look into it. They do some Internet research. They're a little unsure. They go see the surgeon and they want to ask some questions. And after they have their questions, they go home. I want to think about it. They come back the next day. I have some more questions to ask you. Can I talk to some people who have maybe gone through the surgery first? I want to hear some firsthand testimonials from this surgery. I, I want to make sure. And, and just imagine this second patient it finally at the last minute says, okay, I'll do it, and, and reluctantly, slowly picks up the pen to sign the documents to go ahead with that surgery. This person is unsure. They have, they're filled with doubts about this surgeon's capabilities, but they're saying, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, if that surgeon is competent, that he can and he alone can perform that surgery successfully and he does it 100% of the time successfully. Now, ask yourself this question. Which of those two patients would be saved? Which one would be healed? Which one would have the tumor removed and be able to live? Well, the answer is obvious. Both of them. It doesn't matter if the first patient has a ton of faith and believes wholeheartedly or the second one is nervous and has doubts and is unsure and takes a lot longer. It doesn't matter because what matters is the competence of the surgeon. What matters is the object of who they're putting their trust, who they're putting their faith in. It doesn't matter how much faith you have. What matters is who you have your faith in. Because imagine there's a third patient, same tumor, same prognosis, and they say, they look at that first patient. Wow, the first patient went through the surgery. They're healed. The tumor's gone. They're going to live now the rest of their life. 
without a tumor. This is so great. So I need to have the same sincere faith that that first patient did. So I'm going to give everything I can. And, and they meet the first man that's selling a miracle, miracle cure juice on the side of the road. And the, they says, oh, this will cure cancer because it has acai berries in it. And they take that juice and they drink it and guzzle it down because they're so excited and they're enthusiastic and they believe wholeheartedly that this juice is going to help them. Does it? No. It doesn't matter how strong their faith is. What really matters is what they have their faith in. That patient would die two weeks later. It doesn't matter. And that's what's important that Jesus is teaching here. He's teaching this woman. He's teaching the crowd. And in turn, he's teaching us that we need to have faith in someone who can actually come through. The great physician. The doctor who knows how to cure all wounds. And when we're waiting like this woman for 12 years for something, that Jesus is the one who can actually come through. And he did for this woman. But remember Jairus? <laughs> remember Jairus? He's there waiting in the crowd. And he's looking at this, and, and we're not told what he's thinking, but I can just imagine what he's thinking. Okay, Jesus, you healed this woman, but you heard her story. She's been waiting for 12 years. Now, I understand he would probably think that this is an important thing, okay? She's a social outcast because of this. She has physical pain. It's emotionally harming her for a very long time. But remember my daughter, my 12-year-old daughter? She's not even a woman, and she's about to die at any minute. Come on, Jesus, hurry up. Now, a lot of people that are watching this right now, a lot of people in our church are in the medical field. And even if you're not, and you've seen even just one episode of ER or Grey's Anatomy, you know that this is not how you do triage. See, with triage, and there's a couple patients coming at once, you need to figure out, okay, what's the most important? How do I stop the, not just the little bit of bleeding that's been going on chronically for 12 years, but obviously it's not impairing this person's life, and he, where's the patient that's about to die? Now, if both these patients came into the emergency department at the same time, it is clear that over and over, the physician, if there was only one, would pick the 12-year-old girl, save her, because her life is on the line. In fact, the doctor that would treat the, the woman that has had the, the chronic issue for 12 years, that's just a gynecological uh, uh, issue, we, we'd even wonder about this doctor. Is this malpractice? What is going on? And I say that because for Jairus, it would have seemed like what Jesus is doing doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit my timeline. It doesn't even make sense logically in my head. You know, in the same way, there are so many things that happen in our lives and we're wondering, well, why is the waiting going on? Why does it continue to wait? This Jairus would have seen, well, my daughter needs to be healed and you're healing that woman instead? Well, for us, when we were waiting for kids, um, waiting to get pregnant for the first time, it was like, oh my gosh, that person got pregnant. Oh, and then she got pregnant again. Now she's having her third kid and we haven't gotten pregnant at all. What's going on? Or maybe you've been waiting for uh, that job, that career. Finally, when is it going to open up and somebody else gets your dream job? And we wonder, God, why are you doing this? Why are you answering their prayers but not mine? It, the, God's logic doesn't seem to make sense. His timeline doesn't seem to line up with our timeline. And that's certainly the case here. And I think it would have been emphasized even more because at that moment, as the crowd is there looking at Jesus healing this woman, she's healed, which is great, but then one from Jairus' household comes. And Jairus would have recognized her. Maybe it was a cousin. And she comes with shoulder slouched, head down, 
eyes not looking at Jairus. And before she even comes to Jairus, he would have known what she was going to say. But then she says it. Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Now for Jairus, this would have been a gut punch. He's been waiting. He's been pleading. He humbly came to Jesus. Jesus was going to come. It seemed like they were making progress. And then he stopped for this woman. What is he doing? I can just imagine how Jairus would have just wanted to give up. He wanted to go home and say, it's too late. We missed my opportunity. I thought there was some hope, but it's gone. It's dashed. He would feel that deferred hope and he is made sick. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. Maybe you're feeling it right now. And all you want to do is get out that pint, no, 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 that half gallon of cookie dough ice cream and eat it while you binge Netflix. Or maybe you're even contemplating, well, maybe I should drink that or eat that edible because maybe it'll make me feel better. Maybe I'm going to do anything because I just don't even want to think about how hard this is. I have no more hope. It's too late. He's dejected. He thinks all hope is lost. But Jesus says something interesting to him in verse 50. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And she will be healed. Just believe? Just believe? Just have faith? Now, that's probably what Jairus is thinking. Just believe. What do you mean, Jesus? She's dead. You heard the news. This, it's too late. You wasted your time doing all that other stuff. You could have come at any point and healed my daughter, but now it's too late. It's too late, Jesus. But they continue on to Jairus' house, and as they approach, they hear the sound of wailing. In those days when someone died, it would have been common that people came and they would have mourned and wailed. They would have torn their clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes. Like many wear black to a funeral today, this would have been like the flowers are already coming. The letters of condolences are already there. People are there ready for the funeral and they're grieving, they're wailing, they're singing songs of lament outside of Jairus' home. And as they go through this new crowd, Jesus says to them, Uh, stop wailing. You can stop it because the girl's just asleep. She's not dead. And the crowd laughs at him with this black humor that Jesus is making this strange joke about this girl being asleep. They know she's dead. They've seen her. They have heard the news. They know that this girl is gone. And Jairus must have just thought, Jesus, what are you doing? Why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you step up to the plate? And as they go into the room, it says that Jesus went with Jairus and his wife, which would have been the girl's mother, and Peter, James, and John. There's just a small group of them in there. And I'm sure Jairus' wife, her eyes would have been um, red and sore, perhaps tears streaming down her face as she has mourned as well with the sackcloth and ashes on her head. Now, I uh, was in the position a couple of years ago when a young man in our church died, that his family lived out of state and they flew in. And I was with the family, with the parents, when they went to see this boy's body for the first time. And I remember looking at this couple, seeing their son, his lifeless body laid out before them. 
I, I remember the, the mom just tears streaming down her face. The, the dad trying to hold it together, but his cheeks just making that movement because you know that tears are coming. He's trying to be strong for the family, but all of them are beginning to break down and it feels like a sucker punch. And I can just imagine this scene with Jairus and his wife looking at their only child, this girl, not yet a woman, her life completely drained from her body. She's dead. Now in situations like that, when the grief is felt more than ever, when tears come to our face, when we're wondering and it seems like it's too late, that we've been waiting too long, that things are all over as we know it, we wonder why. Why did Jesus do that and not this? Why did he follow this timeline and not our timeline? Now we're never going to know all the reasons why. But this story peels back the curtain a little bit about why God, why Jesus would do certain things and allow certain things in a timeline different than the one we want. And I want you to look once again at what Jesus tells the woman in verse 48. He says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Daughter, your faith has healed you. That word daughter, this is the one and only time in the entire Gospels that Jesus calls someone his daughter. That if she's already had this bleeding for 12 years, this is a woman. But Jesus says to her daughter, out of care and compassion, he shows his love to this woman. See, Jesus is someone who cares about it. And Jairus is the prominent, powerful, lead pastor of the church. Shouldn't he get the, the first audience with Jesus? But yet Jesus sees this woman in desperate need, so desperate that she's willing to just trust in even, it seems maybe magic, to get healing. Jesus looks at her and loves her and cares for her and calls her his daughter. See, Jesus loves us and cares about us. He has compassion for us. Jesus is the compassionate healer. He cares about those things that are on our heart. But even more so in this verse, look again at it. In verse 48, it says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. That word healed in the Greek is so-so. It could also be translated as saved. Your faith has saved you. Yes, it has healed your physical issues, but it also has saved you. See, this woman has, was outcast from the spiritual group. She wasn't allowed at the temple. She wasn't allowed at the synagogue. She couldn't worship with any of God's people. She was an outcast. She was as good as an unbeliever. And yet Jesus brings her back. He adopts her. He says, you are my child. You are my daughter. And now you have been saved. See, for Jesus, yes, it doesn't make the medical sense it, that, that shouldn't he treat the, the, the person who's about to die before he treats this person with the chronic, long-lasting illness that could go on for another few years or decades? But no, Jesus knows that the spiritual issues, the eternal issues, are more important than the temporal ones, even the temporal ones of death. Because he knows that some things are grander and bigger and more important than even death. But I think there's another reason. There's another reason why Jesus would go and treat the woman before he treats the dying girl. Because maybe he wanted to show Jairus and in turn us that he has power even over death. Because as they're in that room, as tears are streaming down the parents' face, as everyone is grieving outside as the sound of mourning is in the air. Jesus grabs the girl's hand 
And he says, child, get up. And he raises her back to life. She sits up. She stands up. She's then given some food and she's eat. The, the, the spirit has returned to her body. Her flesh has turned back from pale white to living again. And this girl is alive. This girl is risen from the dead. Jesus conquered over the death of this young girl. See, Jesus knew something that even Jairus didn't know, even our medical professionals would not know, is that Jesus has power over death. That He sees the supernatural. He sees the end game even on the other side of death when we think more temporally. See, Jesus was the one that Jairus was waiting for. Maybe he didn't even know it. He was the one that this woman was waiting for that was dealing with the bleeding, and he's the one you're waiting for. Jesus is the one you're waiting for because he always does things at the right time. Not our time, but at the right time. You see, just when things seem the darkest, the blackest, the most terrible in our life that we can't make it through anymore, that the business is gone, there's no more income, the child is suffering, there is disease, there is sickness, there is death, there's another act when it comes to Jesus. You turn the page and there's another chapter. Kyle Eidelman, the pastor, once wrote, Just keep reading. Your story isn't over yet. You can trust the author. You can trust the author. He knows what's coming next. And he's got something up his sleeve. He knows more than we do. And that's why we can trust him in the waiting as hard as it gets. And you know, in the biblical storyline, this is what we see again and again and again. When Abraham and Sarah waited some 30 years for a child. When Jacob waited 14 years to marry the woman he loved. When Joseph was in prison for over 11 years before being freed. When Moses waited 40 years for his people to be out of oppression and then 40 more years before they could enter into the promised land. When David waited probably over two decades before he could be made king of all of Israel. And when the entire universe, the angels, the saints, the prophets were looking forward for centuries to the Messiah, He finally came at the right time. See, God has everything in plan and He knows exactly when things need to happen. And that's when He sent His own Son, His only Son, Jesus. The great physician who loved and cared and showed compassion. And yet that same physician went and on the cross gave His blood so that we could be healed, that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. And the whole earth waited for three days after that. For Jesus to rise from the dead, from the ground to shake, the stone to roll away, and for Jesus to, to rise from the dead and appear to over 500 people to show that God does have the ultimate power over anything our temporal world has to throw at us. That Jesus can conquer over sin, death, and the devil. See, Peter, who witnessed this miracle in Jairus' house, and witness to the miracle of Jesus' resurrection, would write years later in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
See, Jesus cares about the deeper spiritual things that maybe we can't even see. He cares about the eternal things when we can only see the temporary. And it's for that reason I know that some of you are watching right now and you are struggling, you're waiting, and you've been looking for something. Maybe you've been willing to try anything like that woman that was bleeding. And maybe you should put your faith in Jesus because He is the good doctor. He will come through and He can save you, even if you have doubts. So I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a minute to say a prayer to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to wait for Him and find the salvation that God has patiently been waiting for you to accept. And for all of us, I know there are some people waiting right now. If you want to reach out in prayer, for prayer, please do. You can text us and we will pray for you. I want to pray for you personally because we care about you, we love you, and like Jesus who is our Savior and who we follow, we want to help you through whatever you're waiting for. And all of us, we need to know that Jesus is the one worth waiting for. For those of you who are ready to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, say this prayer with me out loud. Father, I know that I am a sinner and ask for your forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. Please give me the gift of eternal life. I declare that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I invite your spirit to live in my heart. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer for the first time, if you made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are saved, you have eternal life, and even should you die, you are waiting for the eternal glory that's ahead. And because of that, I want to celebrate with you, so please text the word follow to the, the number on the screen. Please, that number right here, please text the word follow to that number, and I will get in touch with you, and I want to celebrate with you, I want to encourage you, I want to pray for you on this new journey. And for all of us, let's pray. Lord God, please help us to move forward in faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and confidence in things unseen. And I pray that with the confidence we would move forward, hoping for the better future, help us to move forward, even if it has been days, weeks, months, years, decades that we have been waiting for you to act in our life. Lord God, give us the faith to keep moving forward because we trust you. You are the one worth waiting for and you can bring about the perfect future at the perfect time. And we trust you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Make sure you tune in next week because we have a really special announcement for you. So make sure you come back for next Sunday.